Welcome to Women's Hoops and Talks, the what podcast where we are elevating the voice of women in basketball. I'm Tara. And I'm Cassidy. Thank you so much for listening. Returning to the show for today's episode, our friend Britt Robotista, our friend of the podcast, CBA knowledge goddess, fellow robot enthusiast, and Rockets fan. Welcome back to the podcast, Britt. Thank you for having me. To get us started today, we're going to do a little bit of an icebreaker, and we were thinking since Dame recently posted uh, asking for Netflix suggestions, which got us thinking, what show would you recommend to a specific player and why? Anybody want to start us off? Well, I'll go first because I answered Dame right away uh, when he said which he asked which show he should be streaming next. And I said that he should stream Glow. And the reason is because, A, I'm watching in Glow right now, so he, he and I could be doing the same thing, which would be cool. But also, uh, Glow stands for the Gorgeous Ladies of Wrestling. It's a Netflix series about a women's wrestling squad television show that's set in, like, I don't know when it's set, maybe the 80s. I can't really tell by the clothes. Um, 80s or 90s, something like that. But it's really fun for people like me, like I do not get wrestling. I do not understand professional wrestling. And I know that there's like a ton of people out there, especially basketball people who love wrestling. And I know Dame likes wrestling. So I think he'd like the show because it's wrestling. But I personally like it because it shows you like behind the scenes stuff about like how they learn how to do the wrestling. And I just find that whole thing fascinating. So my recommendation for Dame would be that if he hasn't already seen it, he should watch Glow. Who's next? Ooh. Britt, you have one? Um, yeah, I actually do. So um, I, I, as we were talking, I actually completely blanked out on the name of it. But I wanted to first say that I, I actually love Glow. Um, I was a big bas- or professional wrestling fan when I was a kid. And not so much these days because I sort of feel like some of the politics aren't really my thing, but in general, it's been a really great um, show to watch and sort of ex- um, inspires my sort of thoughts when it comes to, you know, my liking of professional wrestling in the um, 90s. But just to um, let you know, it is from the it's like the late 80s, early 90s. OK, the, um, the series is based off of um So it's pretty interesting. Um, As for the show, um, I think I, I'm not sure what, which player that I would um, recommend it for. Um, Maybe actually for a coach, someone like Steve Kerr. The one that I found that was really interesting was Russian Doll. I I, I don't know if either one of you have seen it and I don't want to spoil it too much because it's, really fascinating but it's um the basic concept is is that it's a person it's sort of like groundhog's day when someone is living the same day over and over again um except that um every time the um day sort of ends is when they um they get killed somehow (laughs) and it may sound it may sound a little bit vulgar but it's it's actually a really really good story and that's something i would recommend to steve kerr because i feel like the season is going to be especially grand hulk state ish if um steph curry isn't able to play really well and you know they you know the warriors aren't as great as people usually believe that they are that's so great. Like, I never really thought about it for, but for a coach, 
life kind of must be a little bit like Groundhog's Day. Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh, yeah, for sure. Like, I don't know why. I mean, players, I feel like, you know, because they're actually out on the court, they have a little bit more control over what's going on. But all the coach can do is, like, make the plan and send them out there and go, okay. And it just feels like a little bit like Groundhog's Day. That's awesome. I love it. Yeah. And also the days are really long for coaches and, you know, they're doing the same thing constantly and just like days ahead. So it probably just feels like the days overlap um, over the top of each other. (laughs) How about you, Cassidy? Awesome. So I, oh man, those are so good. Um, I was thinking Mason Plumley because he's a psychology, he was a psychology major at Duke. I thought he might enjoy Mindhunter which is the Netflix series about the formation of the FBI's behavioral science unit. And it's really interesting and crazy intense. So I hope he would enjoy a very crazy intense show. (laughs) Yes. Okay. Well, maybe he was watching it on the plane and when he was doing all that traveling this summer. Yeah. Oh, yeah, for sure. I haven't been able to watch it. It's super scary, or at least it looks very... It's very intense. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Well, thank you, ladies, for indulging us on the um, on the icebreaker today. So, Britt, when we talk to you, we usually talk to you with like a whole bunch of questions about the collective bargaining agreement, because that's one of the things that you know really well and you like to talk about it and you always indulge us. Um, But you're also a Houston Rockets fan, and we've never really just kind of spent time talking about the team that you follow and that you love. And since the... Season's about ready to get started. It's time for us to learn more about some of the other teams. And boy, do you have a doozy of an interesting team this season. (laughs) Yes, for sure. (laughs) So, but I do want, if you don't mind, I do want to start off with like a CBA related question. And then we'll talk to some other stuff. Because recently uh, there was some news about the league like disapproving of a contract that they offered to Nene. And I thought it was really interesting. And I was wondering if you could maybe explain it a little bit. Yep. I can definitely talk about it. Um, What occurred is that uh, the Rockets, like many other teams that are um, in the NBA this season are very much in the luxury tax territory. Um, and they have been um, wanting to you know, bring in players that could allow them to um, facilitate trades later on in the season if needed. So the Rockets don't really have a lot of mid-range contracts. Um, and they had Recently, Nene had decided that he wasn't going to take the last year of his contract. So what it seems to have occurred is that uh, Maury and his front office staff, um, Daryl Maury, who is the GM of the Houston Rockets, um, they figured out a very sophisticated and unique contract structure. Basically, it was that it was going to give a bonus structure to Nene's contract, which would allow them to have basically a $10 million trade exception. Um, They did that by using a part of the CBA that allows for likely or unlikely bonuses. 
Um, this is typically used in contracts for teams that to allow for additional money to be provided to the um, player if the player um, hits certain um, criteria, such as if they average 10 assists a season. That's a little bit high, but just as an example, if they uh, get 10 assists a season, um, they can the team can qualify it as a likely bonus or an unlikely bonus. So if it's likely, um, they've done it previously in the last two or so years, um, and therefore there's a likely chance that they, that they can do it again. Um, and so that goes for the, or that counts towards the um, team salary cap. And therefore when the um, player, if they're traded, then that money can be used uh, as part of the trade package for whichever player is being brought in. Whereas if a contract or if a bonus is unlikely then it doesn't count towards the um, salary cap unless that player hits the bonus so for instance if it if a player has eight um, has had eight assists over the last two years and decide and the in their new contract um, for the bonus they would have to hit 10 assists then a team would have to say it's unlikely that they would hit that assist um, record unless they do it you know within the, um, that year and then the next year they can switch it over to likely since they did hit the 10 assists for instance so for Nene um, I won't go into the particulars of all of it but more or less they set some initially what they called likely bonuses that said that as long as he plays X amount of games, um, I think it was about 42 games, which he had done before, as well as the Rockets won 52 games in a season, which in the last two years, they've won 65 games and 54 games last season. So that was a likely um, bonus or or that was likely to be hit that um, Nene would be able to get an additional up to $10 million. Um, But the sort of trick that they were trying to do is that if the Nene um, was traded before the trade deadline, um, his second year of the contract, which would have been in um, 2021, that um, would not trigger. And therefore those bonuses would not happen. And the second part is that because, um, the Rockets would most likely trade the player to or trade an aid to a team that does not have um, that is unlikely to win 52 games in a season, then, you know, they would basically be um, they would basically be able to have $10 million of a trade exception where everywhere else the other team won't have to pay that because they wouldn't hit the 52 games likely bonus and Nene most likely wouldn't play more than a few games um so he would only get his minimum which would be which is about um 2.7 million dollars so (laughs) it's a lot of so can I summarize what I think is going on you can tell me if I got it right so what I think happened is that the uh Rockets figured out a way where they could pay Nene um, definitely pay him ab- about the veterans minimum with the ten- with the potential to make up to like around ten million dollars, and it yep. so happens that around trade deadline time they're going to be looking to add somebody to their team, and they need to ha- be able to match that salary. And so the type of person that they're looking to add to their team is going to be somewhere within that 
range that $10 million would cover, but to make it to incentivize it for the team that's going to take him, they the way that they've structured these bonuses is that they might not actually have to pay them, and they could actually take on a player, um, but not have to pay them as much as it sounds. You know, as initially his contract looks like what it is. Yep, that's exactly it. Oh, so has anybody ever done that before? No, it would have if they accepted it as is. It would have been the first time that a trade like that had happened. Okay, but it did not get accepted. Yes. So, um, within the CBA, there's an article, Article Six, that states that the NBA can review the likely and unlikely bonus structures within contracts and determine if those are, you know, things that are acceptable within the contract, and they can approve or deny it. Um, they actually took a little bit of liberties. Because technically, they're only supposed to review or change if a contract is from likely to unlikely. They're not be able to. They're not able to do it. Or sorry, from unlikely to likely, and they're not supposed to do it in a reverse. But because they were able to get the support of the the National Basketball Players Association, um, they basically were able to say like, "Oh, all of these are unlikely, even though they are likely on the Rockets' end," because the Rockets were trying to circumvent the um cba i love clever gm strategies (laughs) and i like i totally understand that it wasn't i mean but it's so i mean they gotta put they gotta put this stuff out there they gotta try it right yeah and i think the frustrating part um for rockets fans and or at least for me is that i completely understand that you know the nba and the players association don't want to have situations where you know Nene could potentially not play a lot of games in order for Houston to avoid the contract. And then he most likely will be waived or traded before the trade deadline because of the contract being modified. Um, But, you know, previously um, Adam Silver has been reluctant to do such an extreme change to a contract. Um, There was a very similar contract that the Nets had done um, earlier this summer to make a bonus structure for Kyrie Irving and Kevin Durant in order to fit um, DeAndre Jordan mm. into and give him like $10 million basically. So things like that is what sort of frustrates me about it is that I do understand that, you know, the NBA is trying to protect players, but if they had previously allowed sort of concessions in a way to, you know, use the bonus structure in that way, if a, you know, a GM is not able to creatively create new contract structures, then, you know, what's really the point at, you know, at this point. So they took like an exception to say like, Oh, we're going to, you know, not let you have this contract, but we're going to have you sign it. Or they, um, I think the part that's frustrating is that they, wouldn't let them void the contract either. So they're basically fining them $7 million so they can't use their trade exceptions more or less at this point. And they can't change the contract so that they can either like void it and, you know, give him a, you know, a standard veterans minimum or, you know, work something else out. So 
I guess more or less, it's just like a little bit frustrating to me when they have previously done, you know, let things go and then make it a rule later, you know, made a rule with agreement with the um, Players Association or, you know, just made a ad hoc rule saying like, oh, this can't be done after this. I think one of the things that the NBA has the hardest time with is consistency. (laughs) Um, Maybe because so many people are hunting for loopholes and new creative structures that like they have, like suddenly they get presented with something and they have to make a ruling and then everybody goes, Oh, I saw how they did that. I'm going to tweak it a little bit. And suddenly, you know, other examples come up and it's harder to look back on the first thing that they approved. Like if they're going to continue to get a series of things that they have to evaluate, it's hard to be consistent if it's like all new stuff and you don't really know how to react to it, I guess. Yep. No, definitely. And there's a really good podcast, by the way, that has more details so that we don't have to talk about this all night. <laughs> um, it's the Mike Meltzer podcast. It was episode seven. So I would definitely go and listen to that if you want more details from people who are like actual lawyers and not just, you know, you know, old me. So. <laughs> <laughs> well, I thought you did an excellent job of uh, explaining what was going on because it was very complicated. But let's move on and talk about some other Houston rocket uh, goings on from the summer. So I feel like the big, big news around Houston has to be the addition of Westbrook and the leaving of Chris Paul. We're wondering kind of how are people feeling about this trade? Yeah, I, I think it was a huge shock. So um, just for a little bit of background, during the summer league, uh, one of the well-known Rockets Twitter um, NBA journalists had a um, his name's Ben Bose. He had a Rockets get together to watch the summer league game, and that coincidentally was the same time that the trade for for Westbrook for Chris Paul occurred. So I was just like watching it on Twitter as it was announced, and I think it it was just like a huge surprise. Yeah. I don't think yeah. it was so much that Chris Paul was leaving. I think. I don't necessarily think that the Rockets were going to trade him, first of all. I know there's been a lot of rumors saying that, oh, Chris Paul was going to get traded no matter what. I don't think that's necessarily the case. I think it's more the case that, you know, because of all the, I would say, tampering that occurred with um, Paul George and Kawhi over in the Clipperland, it gave uh, Sam Presti, the GM of the Thunder, an opportunity just to blow up the team. As well as Damian Lillard ending there. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, Uh, yeah, I guess that could be a small case as well. Damian helped. (laughs) It probably expedited it. Yeah, it definitely expedited it. Um, But because of those factors, as well as, you know, James Harden and Westbrook have been, you know, close childhood friends. They've been friends since they were 10 years old. So I I think once Sam Presti decided to push the, you know, the rebuild button, it was just a matter of time that there was going to be a trade. Um, It's just unfortunate to a certain extent that, you know, it had to be Chris Paul that was going out, but their contracts actually matched almost perfectly. So, you know, I was sort of disappointed that Chris Paul had to leave because I I really thought that 
there was an opportunity for him to recover from last season and hopefully have, well, I would say the likelihood of completely healthy would be close to nothing, but at least have a more productive season than most of last year. Um, But I think the addition of Westbrook will be a really good um, addition. It's not going to be exactly the same, but it will be, you know, a good difference, um, or at least in my opinion, although other people may not necessarily agree with that. How are you going to remember the Chris Paul era in Houston? Like, do you think it's going to be memorable or people are, I mean, what's that? How's it going to survive in history? I mean, I think it was maybe sort of like a tell of two cities. Um, It was the best of times. It was the worst of times. (laughs) But um, I think overall, Chris Paul gave the Rockets probably, you know, one of the most significant points where we thought that, hey, they had a chance to win a championship. And if he didn't get hurt in game five of the 2018 Western Conference Finals, I'm almost positive that they would have won a championship. I think a lot of times it's sort of bittersweet, especially thinking about 2018 and how that sort of ended and just all the, you know, drama and other things that are associated. But I don't think he'll be seen as like a bad guy. And I I definitely don't think that when the Rockets play, you know, him either in Oklahoma City, if he's still there or if he eventually gets traded to Miami and that's the first time that they play against him that, you know, or at home, that is, that people are going to, like, boo him or anything like that. I think, you know, for all of the disappointment, he, you know, he brought us the closest to a NBA Finals or a potential championship than anyone else had done in, you know, quite a while. I mean, even the one year, a couple of years ago, when Dwight Howard um, and James Harden got to the Western Conference Finals against Golden State when Golden State won their first, you know, championship i i don't think that was like a legit um you know appearance like they played pretty good and you know that was right after they recovered from 3-1 versus the clippers but at the same time you know you could tell that harden and howard weren't really meshing that well and that one year with um Harden and Chris Paul I mean they were just clicking um and I think even last year they were like that as well but um a lot of it was that Chris Paul was hurt a lot of time last year people tend to like sort of forget that and it took some time for you know him to sort of get back up to speed after his hamstring got injured and you know by that point the Rockets were, you know, under 500 and then just like teetering um, on the point of not even getting into the playoffs. So that caused a lot of struggle. Yeah, they came, really came roaring back last year. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, the later half of the season, once um, Chris Paul recovered from his injury, they had they were on a 63 win pace. So it it wasn't, I think a lot of people say that, oh, you know, Chris Paul and James Harden, you know, hated each other and they weren't talking, even though it was from one article. But overall, I, I think, I guess just to recap, I think a lot of people will appreciate Chris Paul's time um, on the Rockets. And I don't think that there was a lot of like hatred or anything between Chris Paul or James Harden. It was just that because uh, Westbrook was available and Westbrook and Harden had been friends and Harden had never really asked for a player specifically, you know, to have it 
um, have him be available for trades. That's why, you know, Chris Paul had to ultimately go. Um, so I think one of the things that I've been wondering about Houston is just how are they going to work on the court together? Uh, Westbrook and uh, Harden. And I'm kind of wondering what, what are your opinions on that? Uh, what are, what's kind of the talk of the talk of the fandom about how those two are going to be on court together or are they going to be kind of staggered? Um, I think it's going to be a little, well, I, I guess just to back up, there are some analysts, um, Sam or uh, Amco, um, a few other, you know, websites, Bleacher Report, The Ringer, et cetera, who have done analysis on um, Harden and Westbrook and also talked to, you know, reporters and scouts um, off are not reporters, but coaches and scouts off the record about what has happened and are, you know, about their potential. And a lot of them are saying, oh, this isn't going to work because they play very similar. Um, The thing is, is that, you know, they did play for three years in Oklahoma city and yes, it has been, you know, seven or eight years since then. And they have changed and developed that, but that doesn't mean that that chemistry is completely lost because they haven't played together on a regular basis since their, you know, Harden's third season in the NBA. I think a lot of it, like you mentioned is that um, Cassidy is that there's going to be staggering admittance. Um, similar to what happened with Chris Paul and James Harden, you know, they both, both will probably start, um, start or start the game playing, you know, one and two or, you know, point guard and shooting guard, and then go ahead and, um, either have Harden or, um, Westbrook, you know, um, sit starting midway through the first and then stagger their minutes throughout the game. And then at the end of the game, they'll play at the same time together. Um, I, I think it's not going to be, you know, an extreme difference between that and what had happened before. Um, I think the other standpoint that um, people may not be realizing, or at least not right now is that, when it comes to Westbrook's game, no, he's not going to be shooting three pointers, or at least I don't suspect him to be shooting as many three pointers as people think. I think a lot of times uh, commentators and analysts uh, assume that, you know, D'Antoni is just going to do three and D and Maury's going to like sort of support that constantly and have them just like shooting threes all day. I think in my opinion, they, will probably, you know, sort of lean more heavily on Westbrook's strong points, which is, you know, his rebounding as well as his assisting and, you know, getting those like mid-range jumpers. Um, He may add some threes just because that's just the system that the Rockets play. But I I think just for, you know, one, making sure that the things aren't as stagnant and two um, teams, not just camping out at the three point line and expecting the Rockets just to shoot threes all day that Westbrook's going to have the ability to, you know, do the things that he was, um, that he d- does really well and did really well when he was in Oklahoma city. And then the last thing I think is going to happen is that, you know, Capella had a pretty bad postseason, but he's um, he plays really well around the hoop similar to what Steven Adams did. Um, and also the Rockets as of 
yesterday signed Tabalo Sabalosha. And, you know, he was also on the Oklahoma City team when Westbrook and um, Harden were playing um, together. So I, I think although um, Sabalosha is not going to play as much as when he did the first three years when Harden, Harden and Westbrook were playing together, it will allow them to go ahead and use um, Capella's strong suit of, you know, sending um, alley-oops up all the time, um, and which is actually something that Chris Paul didn't do as much as part mm-hmm. of the Rockets, or at least not as much as people, or I guess the average viewer expects. So one of the things that I've been struck with over the last couple of years, especially with Houston, is that I didn't watch a ton of them. Obviously, I only pretty much watched them when they played the Blazers and maybe caught a little bit here or there. But they never they didn't seem to be having very much fun. Maybe that was just Chris Paul's aspect. And also Marquise Chris always had like a sour look on his face. (laughs) Also gone. Uh, Maybe they just both had, you know, a crabby resting face and they really were having a lot of fun. Um, Because James Harden is certainly a um, extremely talented player and very polarizing for other fan bases. So I guess this is my long-winded way of asking, what's it like to be a fan of a team that is built around James Harden? Does he himself have, like, you know, a fun gene in him that you think might be coming out you might see more of this year? Or just tell me about what it's like, like I said, you know, being a fan of a team that is centered around James Harden. I mean, I guess I definitely understand um, where you're coming from. Um, I think a lot of, you know, non-Rockets fans just, you know, see, you know, maybe clips or maybe like the game or two that, you know, your team are, well, three to four games, if you're on in the Western Conference, that is, uh, of when Harden is playing your team, you just see like a lot of ISOs. And um, a lot of times people don't find that fun. They find the more, you know, energetic Golden State Warriors passing, you know, finesse style as being more conducive of fun. Um, I, I think when it came to last season, there was definitely not as much fun as the 2018 um, season just, or 17, 18 season, just because, you know, they were losing, they were 11 and 14, you know, the first, tw- you know, 20 or so games of the season. And I, I think after that, it just caused so much friction between all the players where they had these high expectations coming off of, you know, being half of a you know half a game away from going to the NBA finals that going on you know a really bad losing streak you know completely dampered whatever hopes that they had about the season um so i i think in general you know when it comes to harden you know i i don't know if you know you're aware but he usually is partying out maybe not as much as he used to be but you know he he does still club you know do the clubbing routine or at least during the off season. And sometimes, you know, during the season, I think the other thing that is really interesting that um, a lot of people aren't talking about is that um, when they had the press conference with Westbrook, the end of July, 
um, James Harden was actually there. He wasn't um, at the podium or what, you know, he didn't talk during the time, but you could actually see for like the first time in a long time that he was like genuinely smiling and just like really, really, really excited about what's going on. And I think that's really the key is that I think previously, especially in 2017, 2018, the team was like generally happy and just like excited. And I think, you know, bringing in Westbrook and a team that mostly hasn't changed in the last year will help out Harden. Um, and, you know, as for Harden himself, I, I think a lot of people just assume that, oh, you know, the Rockets just do ISOs. They they do, and they do that do that at a higher, you know, percentage than any other team in the NBA um, by far. But you know, they do have a lot of other plays um, and play sets that are really, you know, fun. And I think with the addition of Westbrook, that will allow Harden to be more creative with a um, player that is just as quick and you know, assist heavy as Westbrook within the same age um, range as him. I think with Chris Paul, um, Chris Paul had a lot of really great, you know, skill sets that allowed Houston to sort of um, mix and match what was needed throughout the game or in between games and throughout the season, especially more in 2018 or 17, 18 versus last season. Um, But Westbrook is basically, you know, just as fast as Harden. Well, Harden, when Harden wants to, he can be pretty fast, but he's, you know, Westbrook is, you know, extremely hardworking. He goes above the rim when he wants to. He does a lot of the same, you know, passing into the bigs that James Harden does. And plus they're friends. So I think it will allow Harden to sort of relax a little bit more than, um, or at least, especially compared to last season. Um, I won't say compared to, the season before, because I feel like they, um, Chris Paul and Harden actually had a good relationship in 2017, 2018. Um, but I think, you know, this year with Westbrook, the positive and maybe potential negative is that, you know, he's going to have someone that he, you know, truly respects out there at all times that he most likely won't have an issue with, or at least for one season. Who knows what happens after that? <laughs> yeah. I feel like their friendship is been kind of lost from a lot of the storyline from the national media. Uh, Cause I keep forgetting that they've been friends for so long, but what are some things that maybe us outside of the fanhood uh, might not know about James Harden? Are there any like fun, weird facts about him? Yeah. I mean, I think besides what I mentioned about him um, sort of like clubbing all the time, or at least <laughs> not as much as before, but at least, you know, quite consistently is that he is very much a fashion hound. Um, I know a lot of people know that PJ Tucker, um, who's also on the Rockets, he, you know, he's a major sneakerhead and, you know, a fashion person. James Harden is definitely that as well. If you follow him on Instagram, he is constantly at fashion weeks in Milan or Paris um, or in New York. Um, in fact, he may be at fashion week in the next few weeks before the season starts. Um, he's very much into fashion and, um, he, you know, I think once he retires from the NBA, I could imagine him, you know, you know, besides his shoe line, which he already has, you know, expanding out even, even further. Another thing that just recently happened is that he became a part owner of the, Houston Dynamo and the Houston Dash, which are the 
major league soccer um, teams in the Houston area. And, you know, the last few years they haven't been great. Um, but, you know, he's sort of motivated to um, change their kits up. They're going to be all fashionable. It could be LeMay. <laughs> but also he wants them to win. Uh, I, and I think that's the other thing, too, is that for all the criticism that a lot of people sort of give to James Harden, the one thing that you can't say is that he hasn't been loyal to the Rockets. He's never, you know, publicly asked out or, you know, sort of threatened the team for walking he recently said that he wants to bring a championship to the houston area and he wants to retire here which you know you can take that for what it's worth but he's never been you know sort of someone to sort of use his influence or at least as not as much as you know certain other players that we can sort of name um he's been here through thick and thin and has been you know someone who has been focused on you know being great every single season. I think even in 2016, which I think is probably for many would say that was the low point in Harden's career. He was a really good, he had a really good year even in 2016 and he has increased his stats lines every single season since he became a rocket. So, I mean, I think overall, um, you know, you may not like his style of play um, aesthetically, but he is a very interesting guy <laughs> and, you know, an interesting player on the court and, a you know, a really good play, um, human off the court. So I think one of the questions that we keep thinking about is who is the leader of this Rockets team? Like, who is their Damian Lillard? Because we know we have Dame. We know we've got CJ out there supporting who are who is the Damian Lillard of the Houston Rockets? Um, I mean, honestly, I would say that um, you know Harden is the leader, and I think he's become a better leader on on the court, um, especially since um, you know while Chris Paul was there, I think he learned a lot from um, Chris Paul. Um, and I think that will show this season, or at least I'm hoping that it showed this season as well. Um, but I think from a, like the sort of heart aspect, like the, you know, who's the, um, Draymond Green, sort of speak of mm-hmm. the Rockets, I would say PJ Tucker is that, um, he has definitely sort of taken up the role that Trevor Ariza was for, you know, the, um, several years that he was um, on the team and he and Tucker has definitely taken up like the defensive side or defensive leadership side that um, Harden didn't have and probably won't ever have completely. And I think that's definitely needed because Harden takes up so much of the offensive load that having someone on the, you know, on the team that can anchor the defense consistently and is, you know, very healthy. I think PJ Tucker only missed one game last season um, is very key. And I think that really helped them in the last few years to, you know, be able to win the games that they have. When you look around the league at other teams, you know, besides Houston, who are some of the other teams that you think are doing a lot of things right? I would say, first of all, um, Utah and Denver. I think um, when it comes to Utah, you know, bringing in, you know, 
Conley or Mike Conley is going to be, you know, a major impact. Um, Donovan Mitchell has, you know, he has developed quite a bit into being a, you know, a strong role, you know, a strong star within their team, but having an actual point guard who can take away, you know, take some of that, you know, um, ball handling away from Mitchell will help out um, Mitchell in the long term. And they really actually scare me quite a bit when it comes to the season. Um, Maybe not as much as what a lot of people are thinking. Um, I think Denver as well has definitely built from the, you know, ground up a very stable and strong system that will probably uh, like I have feelings that they could be the next golden state um, depending on, you know, how they, um, how Murray and how um, Jokic plays in the next season, they could have a year where they like dip, which is definitely possible. And I feel like they're the ages of most of the people on the team could cause that to happen. But I feel like the um, front office of Denver has, you know, made a quote unquote farm system um, within Denver that has sort of allowed them to bring up a lot of really good impactful young players and I'm like sort of concerned from a Houston Rockets fan perspective that they're just going to be you know relatively really really good um so I would say those two teams and of course you can say Golden State and you know San Antonio um Cassidy, I think this bodes well because people are continuing to underestimate the Trailblazers. Yeah, underestimate us. (laughs) I mean, I could, I mean, of course, I could say Portland as well. Um, I I would say that I I think Lillard um, and CJ are, you know, they're, I would say by far, um, since Clay is currently injured, the best, you know, tandem um that has been proven um in the league and their consist um, you know their um consistency from year to year has been more and more apparent so i i, I think portland's going to be you know they're going to be up there um i i just have some reservations when it comes to some of the players that have been picked up yes i want to know what you think their reservations are i i think a lot of it is um I'm going to guess you're not super high on Whiteside. Yeah, that's a part of it. I I think Whiteside, he's a very, very, very good and smart player. Um, When he is on, he is definitely on. And, you know, he can, you know, lift a team to victories. But his relationship with, you know, Miami Mm -hmm. was very much suspect. So, you know, maybe a new location, sort of like Victor Oladipo, um, when he went to Indiana, will allow him to sort of blossom and you know be able to develop the way that people thought when he was first, um, you know, when he first was um, signed with Miami. Um, so, you know, I would say that there are positives that he could, you know, be that you know dominant force consistently um, now that he's in Portland. But we've also seen the very bad side of white side when he was in Miami and that's definitely a concern that I don't think people can uh, underestimate. So another player that you've seen more than us recently because of you know, being, you know, Houston being in Texas, they played San Antonio a lot. And like, what do you think about Pau Gasol? Do you think he's still, you know, there's, there's some debate about 
how much he's going to play in Portland. Like from what you've seen of him over the last, you know, couple of years of Houston playing San Antonio, uh, do you see him having legs to uh, help out the Trailblazers? Honestly, I don't think he'll be able to help until the playoffs. Mostly because one, he's been very injury or prone the last few years. And two, um, I mean, you know, as you know, Pop, he, or, you know, Popovich always had that load management sort of system, even before it was popular or um, infamous these days. So um, I think he'll definitely serve as a elder statesman who has been in the playoffs, who has, has won multiple championships um, and will be able to help out with the, you know, the younger players as well as CJ and Lillard and sort of having those habits uh, of a champion. Um, And I think that's something that has been missed within the Portland organization over the last few years, but I'm just not sure that from a regular season aspect that he's going to be able to like, you know, get them a game or two he's definitely going to be a contributor but maybe not as much as people suspect interesting because one of the things that you know over the this is the first time in a really long time that the blazers have had players that are significantly older than the core basically like they brought in tolliver and Pau gasol and otherwise, everybody's been just right around Damian Lillard's age, only like a couple years older at the most. Um, and I think, you know, a lot of that was because they were signaling that, you know, it's Damian's team and he's going to grow and develop it the way he, that he wants to. But you make a really good point of Pau Gasol's extensive deep playoff experience, because I think one of the things that happened to Damian is he got really, really, really tired by the end of that seven game series with Denver. And, you know, whether or not Pau plays a lot, he has oodles and oodles of experience of like how to get your body through the entire run yeah yeah no i i I definitely agree that i think that's gonna be his strongest point is that he's gonna be able to you know give the you know the working experience and knowledge and you know talk to you know lillard and talk to cj about how to handle the season in a more, you know, consistent manner so that by the time the playoffs are happening, they're not having to overburden themselves or at least hopefully, or well, hopefully for trailblazers fans, that's the case. <laughs> <laughs> right on. Well, I think it's probably about time for us to wrap it up here. So uh, Britt, you want to tell people how they can find you and some of the things that you'll be tweeting about in the coming months leading up to the um, start of the season? Oh, yeah. So I am always on Twitter. Well, I try not to be on it as much, but <laughs> I'll be ramping up a little bit more. Um, I'm at Brit Robotista. That's B-R-I-T-R-O-B-O-T-I-S-T-A. Um, maybe I should make a shorter one instead of having a long one. <laughs> and I, I'm I'm planning on, first of all, um, I, Sirius XM NBA Radio had a list of 
players that they most are that they would are the top 25 players that they would build a franchise with, with I completely disagreed with. So I'm planning on, I was going to do it this weekend, but I actually decided to do some research instead of just putting it out on the fly to sort of give my sort of opinion about that list and give my own. Um, and I'm probably going to be talking a lot about the Rockets, especially since they're um, they're going to be playing in one of the international games um, in Japan uh, along with the Raptors. So their um, preseason is starting really soon. In fact, uh, it'd be a day before their media day on Friday. The I think that's the twenty seventh. Yeah, and then or the twenty seventh of September, and then they go off to Hawaii and then Japan. Um, so it's. I'm really excited to see how this team is going to be structured and how Dan Henry is going to change the um, offense and their new defensive staff is going to, you know, change the defense. Um, and I'll, I'll probably just be random or rambling quite a bit about that. Well, thank you so much for coming on and uh, talking to us of, about some of the intricacies of the contract and just helping us understand Houston a little bit more because, as usual, we're going to be seeing each other during the season and maybe we'll be in the same side of the bracket this year. Who knows? We shall see. Yeah. <laughs> Cassidy, why don't you uh, go ahead and take us out of here? And that will do it for this week's Hoops and Talks podcast. Don't forget to follow the podcast on Twitter at Hoops and Talks and to subscribe to the show in the Blazers Edge podcast feed on whatever platform you use to get your podcasts. We'll say it again. We love email. So send us an email with your icebreaker ideas, questions, and tell us what things we should be watching on Netflix. Our email is hoopsandtalks at gmail.com. Tara, where can we find you? At TCB Biggs on Twitter. And you can find me at Cassidy Gamut on Twitter. Thank you so much for listening. And we are so close to the season. Go Blazers. <laughs> Go Blazers. <laughs> <laughs>